Hi, this is Kim Davis, and welcome to another DMN one-on-one. And I have as my guest this afternoon here in New York, Andy Cunningham, who's founder and president of the Cunningham Collective. Welcome, Andy. Thank you. It's great to be here. And I have right in front of me, and I will I will post a picture when the podcast is published, and his book, Get to Aha! Exclamation <laughs> mark. Right. <laughs> great title. So you're in town, among other things, talking to people about the book? I am. I just launched it uh, just about a month ago, so we're very excited about it. It's... um something you've been working on for some time is the impression I get from it, Are you, or at least ideas which go back some way for you. Yes, a long way. Well, first of all, I've always wanted to write a book because I'm an English major and that's what we all want to do, right? Okay. <laughs> but I developed the framework for positioning in this book about probably 15 years ago, so it's been a while. It's been in the making. I've been polishing and refining and, you know, making the framework better and better over time and experimenting with it, you know, over hundreds of clients over right. the course of those 15 years. So it really, it was finally ready to, to come out and be be something to share with other people. Very good. And your own story is fascinating. And I wish we had time to go into it in detail, but it'd be great if you could just share some of the highlights, like obviously working with Steve Jobs on the Macintosh. Tell us a bit about your background and how you got into this whole wonderful world of, um, of branding and technology. <laughs> Well, I started my my, uh, my lofty career as a writer <laughs> with a uh, couple of trade magazines in Chicago. One was called Fleet Maintenance and Specifying, and the other one was called Heavy Duty Equipment Management Maintenance. <laughs> and of course, uh, like most trade journalists, I didn't make any money. So after about two years of that, I needed to get a job where I could make some a little bit more money. And I was introduced to a recruiter uh, through a, um, actually someone at Playbill magazine introduced me to a recruiter who said you would be perfect in PR and I was like oh god I hate <laughs> PR people that can't possibly be true um, but I uh, ended up going on a, on a couple of interviews and I have to say that the minute I walked into the door of these I had two interviews one with Burson Marsteller one with Daniel J. Edelman right. and I walked in the door and said this is for me. I, this is business. I love business. <laughs> I didn't know I loved business, but I did, uh, and I do. So I knew right away it was the right thing. So I, they they put me on their, quote, technical accounts. This was in 1980 80 and 81, I guess. Right. And they put me on their technical accounts because they knew that I could write technically because I'd done, done all this writing for these truck magazines. So I got into the computer thing, and I wore DEC was one of my first clients, which was fabulous. Atari, another great mm-hmm. first client. Bell & Howell was a great first client, which was, at that time, marketing the black apple. They had <laughs> taken off the beige cover from the Apple II and put on a black one and called it the Bell & Howell black apple. Oh, wow. And they gave me one, which was what started my whole interest in all of this. So Bell & Howell gave me one of these black apples. I brought it into the office. Uh, the librarian and I on the 10th floor of Burson Marsteller in downtown Chicago on Wacker Drive dug into this computer and we were both enthralled with the thing. This was about 82, I think, 83 maybe. Yeah, 82. And uh, it, it just was, to me, I could just see how this was going to change the world and I, I was I was just so excited about it. I would spend like two hours a day in there with her. And my boss kept putting articles on my desk about Silicon Valley, the Steve Jobs this and Apple that and <laughs> Intel this. And, and, I, uh, and I was, of course, really excited about it, but it, the thought of moving to California never even occurred to me. But one day they announced that, that Burson Marsteller was going to open an office mm-hmm. in California, in Silicon Valley, and I thought, what a great place to work. I'll, I'll try my, my luck with them. So I flew out and met with the, the guy that was running the office and decided it really wasn't going to work for me to work for him. So I, I took my opportunity to interview with all the other agencies, and at the very end of the day I got Regis McKenna, and he offered me a job to launch the Macintosh on the spot. And wow. I said, I'm in. Sign me up. <laughs> That's, um, so I moved out to California. Yeah. And, <laughs> and 
wrote yourself into one of the amazing stories of yes. brand and product positioning. Absolutely. So let's leap forward <laughs> to 2017, and here you are in the book, as I understand it, and you will explain it better than me, talking about how brands discover what their positioning is, and what I got out of it is you make a distinction between positioning and branding. Positioning being a very rational thing, branding being more of an emotional thing. So maybe that's a good place to start to explain the difference there and what you mean by positioning. Sure. So, uh, yes, I believe that companies, well, first of all, I should say that I have always treated companies like people because companies are made up of people and they make products that serve people. So they're pretty much like people. Uh, So I believe that just like people that have uh, both a rational side and an emotional side, I believe that companies do too. And, uh, and so the idea behind positioning being the rational side, it is the factual description of your role and relevance in the marketplace. No adjectives, no fluff, none of right. that stuff. And then once you understand what your role and relevance is the mar- in the marketplace, then you can put the frosting on the cake and put the emotional language in there and the adjectives and the pretty colors and the design and all the other beautiful things that come together to make a beautiful identity. So that's to me what, what the difference is between the two of them. I'll say one other thing. Uh, as far as I know, there has only been one other book written about positioning, mm-hmm. and that was written by Jack Troutnell Reese in the early 70s. It was called Positioning, The Battle for Your Mind, and they invented the practice. And the practice is really one of how do you establish real estate in a potential customer's brain? Uh-huh. How do you move aside all the other things that are going on in that person's brain to make room for your product or service? And back in the early 70s, the way that it was done was primarily through advertising, mm-hmm. where you have complete control over your messaging. You can write whatever you want to write as long as you have the money to get it yeah. to get it put wherever you want it put. So that is what we that is what the first book was about, and I have always been fascinated with that book. I think it's a fabulous book. In fact, Jack Trout um, and Al Reese, Jack has passed away, but Al Reese wrote a uh, a blurb for me on for this book. Um, so I call this positioning 2.0. This okay. is positioning for the digital age. This is how you do it in an era when there's way more than just advertising to get your message out. In fact, you have to have more than advertising because that is losing its uh, yeah. its its currency in the marketing world. And one of the fundamental things you invite uh, companies to do, businesses to do, is to figure out their own positioning DNA. And you say there are I'm sure there are lots of variations, but three basic types of companies. Yes. Maybe you could talk about that more. Sure. So I, uh, how this came to be, if this is uh, of interest, I'll just explain how this came to be. I had a client about 15 years ago who was competing with Adobe. They actually weren't a client yet. They mm-hmm. were a prospect. And uh, I had gone in to meet with the new CEO who turned out to be a guy who'd come over from the private equity firm that just bought the company. So he had no experience in software. And the minute he got into the company, he fired all the marketing people. So all there was left was engineers and right. him. And, but he'd heard about me from somebody, and he said, uh, I want to talk to you about how we can articulate our differentiation in the market. Mm-hmm. And so I went to meet with him, and he asked me, so how, are you, how would you do this? And I said, well, I'm going to do it, you know, like everybody else does it. I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to listen to some of your customers, and then I'm going to go away for a few days, and I'm going to come up with a really creative idea, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to go, ta-da! And you're going to love it. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, I, I don't understand. What, what are you going to do? How are you going to do that? And I really couldn't answer his question. So I knew if I was going to win this piece of business, I was going to have to reverse engineer what I did when I locked myself in a, in a room with mm-hmm. a cup of coffee and, uh, and a computer and figured out how did I get them to ta-da. And what I realized is that it's not a ta-da process at all. It's an aha process. Okay. And what I did is I went through 
dozens of clients that I had worked with in the previous years, and I, and I started to put them in categories. And I realized as I was mapping them out that there were really only three ty types of companies. Okay. And those are what I call product-oriented companies, which I affectionately call mechanics, mm -hmm. customer-oriented companies, which I call mothers, and concept-oriented companies, which I call missionaries. And I, so then I tested it, and I said, okay, this company, where do they fall? This company, and I couldn't find another type. So I came up with this DNA idea of, of mechanics, mothers, and missionaries for my, for my model. And then within that model, okay, let me just back up for a second. So once you understand who you are at your core DNA, are you a mother, are you a mechanic, are you a missionary, mm -hmm. Um, then what do you do with what do you do with that information? And the reason it's important to know that, just like as a human being, is authenticity is probably the most important thing in marketing today, yeah. in the digital age. So if you start from a place of knowing who you are, in other words, I like to say know who you are so you can make something of it. Um, it's it's makes it a lot easier to put forth authentic marketing when you're starting from a place of knowing who you are. So just like a person, companies are the same. So within these three different categories then, I further defined it to create these things I call genotypes now, which are, and there's two for each, each type. So if you look at a, a, a product-oriented company, or a mechanic as I call it, yeah. there's only two ways you can position. You can position around value, or you can position around features. And literally there is no other way. So that helps you narrow it down. If you're a, a customer-oriented company or a mother, you position around customer segmentation or customer experience. And if you're a missionary, you position around next big thing, or, um, or cult of personality. Right. So, so what, what I try to do with companies is take them through this framework of understanding who they are at their core. And let's say, they're a, let's say it's Lyft. Okay, Lyft is a, is a great uh, mother, it's a great customer-oriented company, and they position themselves around customer experience. Disney's another company that is a mother that positions around customer experience. Forever 21 is a mother that positions itself around customer segmentation. Okay. It's a store yeah. that targets young women. Or, or older women who want to continue to feel like they're young. <laughs> right. um, and on, on the mechanic side, uh, if Oracle is a great example of a, of a mechanic, and so is Microsoft, that both position around features. Yes. Walmart is a mechanic company that positions itself around value. Okay. Um, and then if you look at the missionary companies, you've got, uh, of course, these are, these are ones everybody knows, Tesla, Apple, Federal Express in the early days, now FedEx, Starbucks. These are companies that all existed to change human behavior at some fundamental level, okay. and they succeeded with it, and they are they are built around uh, either the next big thing, or they're like Tesla is, for example, or they're built around a cult of personality. And I like to think of Richard Branson as a great example of a brand that is really positioning itself around around a cult of personality. Yeah, very distinctive character. Exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway, if once you know those things about you, and you know where to position, you've now taken the, the choices for positioning from a bazillion to a much smaller amount. And I liken right. it to going into your closet and seeing, you know, 200 different shirts to wear versus having five. You know, it's just a lot <laughs> yeah, easier. The shirts, which right. makes sense. So once, yeah. you, once you develop, once you understand who you are and you know which genotype you are, then you have much fewer choices to make and there's a, another part of the exercise in there that I call the six C's. That's the first C, the core, the core DNA, but there are five other C's you have to examine to figure out your positioning statement. And so you go through the book, you get through all of, all of those C's and at the end there's a little Mad Lib exercise that lets you kind nice. of put in the uh, the answers to the questions that you came up with in the first several chapters. So really, it's kind of a do-it-yourself book. You, you really can do the process for yourself after 
reading okay. the book. And of course, all the details in there, and we'll, we'll put up a, and the a test. link, link yep. to the book and the test. <laughs> I'll ask a couple of questions um, arising from what you've said. I, I went to a presentation some weeks ago, and it was another of these very big, broad brush presentations about what companies should do now and how they should transform themselves. And my takeaway from this particular presenter was that if you're not a missionary company, if you're not completely disrupting a category or creating a new category, then you're dead in the water. You might as well give up. But you're saying life's not as simple as that. That's not for every oh, company. Oh, no. Every company cannot be a, a missionary or a concept company. There are great companies that are in the other categories, absolutely incredible companies in the other categories. And I think that's, a, that's important to understand. There is no better DNA, just like in a human. My DNA is different from yours. Right. It doesn't make me better than you or you better than me. It's just we are what we are. But we will be much more successful in the world if we put ourselves forth as who we are as opposed right. to as who someone else is. And inauthenticity, especially in this digital age, is going to be spotted, isn't it? It's Absolutely. Going to be it's called out immediately. I mean, this fake news thing, this is all kind of connected to the fake news thing. Um, yes, we have fake. We've always had propaganda. We've yeah, had sure. propaganda forever. Um, but people find it out so much faster today, yeah. so much faster, and it's exposed, and that's a good thing. You know? And if a brand pretends to be something it's exactly. not, similarly they're risking exposure. They are totally risking exposure and, and wasting money on marketing. And uh, by the way, an example I, I like to use on this is Comcast. Mm -hmm. So Comcast is a company who, that has been forever a mechanic. They have been, they have fallen into this thing I call the customer-centric conundrum, which is this notion that you have to be customer-focused or you're going to fail. Um, that is not the case, but that is what is popular to believe right now. So yes. they've bought into this, and plus they've had some issues with their customer relationships. So they have now embarked upon a giant advertising campaign to show the world how customer-centric they are. But they forgot to change any of the actual substance of the company. So what we have now is an advertising campaign that says one thing, and the experience that customers have with Comcast the same as it has always been. So they are creating a much bigger problem for themselves, in my opinion, than if they would change the substance first and then add the advertising later. But what they did is they did the branding first before right. they did the positioning. Well, that brings me to, I think, I know it's the most important question. The question which fascinates me is, who owns this? In a company which hasn't been through an exercise like this, obviously a lot of our listeners, most of our listeners are involved in marketing. Marketers are supposed to own the brand. Who owns the positioning? Who in the company can make sure these questions get asked and answered in the right way? Well, at the end of the day, the CEO owns this, and that's an important thing because if he or she does not buy into what the position of the company is, it will never be implemented in all the factors of the company, factions of the company that it must be implemented in. This is not just a marketing thing. Yeah. This is a this is a finance thing. This is these companies do things entirely differently. A mother does things differently from a mechanic. Does things differently from a missionary. They organize themselves differently. They measure success differently. They talk about different things in meetings. They hire different kinds of people. So if every element of the company isn't aligned with what the positioning is of the, that company, it will not be successful. Now, marketing people can drive this because they're right. the ones that can develop it and see it and analyze it and create it. Yeah. Um, but they must bring along the entire senior team with them, including HR. And I also really love having finance people in these meetings because once they understand what it is all this marketing is doing, they, they have a much better understanding and they have a much better partner of marketing in the whole process. So to me, it's an alignment exercise, but if the CEO doesn't own it, it will never succeed. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. And just to wind up, and if, if this is not too difficult to answer, as a company, as a brand, how do you know when you've reached your aha moment? How do you know when you've got it right? You know, it, it's, it's visceral. 
that's why I call it aha, because that's what I've actually heard whispered at the end of these meetings that I have with clients is they go, aha, that's what we are. And that's really why I ended up calling the book Get to Aha and the whole process Get to Aha, because it, it's actually a physical uh, expression of a feeling of knowing ex that you're the right place at the right time saying the right thing. And it's, it's miraculous. I've, I've had that in almost every, every case that we've done this. Well, that's, that's a place we all want to get to, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, Andy Cunningham, Get to Aha, thanks for coming in and telling us about it. Thank you, Kim. Great to be here.